Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ Church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us, the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Reverend Ashley Dargai, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus, the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebears, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it's good news, and it is for you. We're very excited this morning to have with us as our guest preacher, preacher Jenna Worrell Stewart. Jenna recently completed her campus ministry apprenticeship at Arizona State University and is currently a student at Renovari Institute for Christian Spiritual Formation. She lives in Austin with her husband, Ben, and their dog, Charlie. (laughs) Jenna, thank you for being with us this morning. From Matthew 5. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, who breaks, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless you surpass the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And so you have heard it said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, whoever is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother and sister, and then come offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It is also says, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in cases of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, ACC. 
It is really, really good to be with you, and I am very humbled to speak before you. Let me give you a brief overview of my walk with God. Uh, my name is Jenna Earl Stewart, and I am 26 years old. I'm uh, still wet behind the ears. And I'm reaching the age where I'm starting to recognize the seasons of my life as I look back. And we all go through seasons, and if we examine them closely, we can start to see some themes emerge. And as I look back on my life thus far, I see three distinct seasons. My childhood and pre-adolescent age for me was the season of my first love, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm one of those kids who's loved Jesus from a very young age, and it was that kind of crazy, I love you so much, it hurts. Um, I remember praying on my knees, I was raised Catholic, and just telling Jesus how much I loved him, and just feeling that like rigidness in my body, trying to express to God just how much I loved Jesus. But it was also that kind of untried and untested love, and I very much saw the world and my relationship with God through rose-colored glasses. Now the second season I see, and I'm beginning to realize, and I've talked about it a lot in therapy, because <laughs> it, it, it was a very, very hard season. Um, and these were my adolescent years through my time in college. And it was a time of learning how the world actually works and what my place in the world was. And it was a time of the divided heart. Um, it's a stage that every Christian goes through and often through college and I, um, finally learned through the wisdom of the saints that this is a very normal thing and not just a weird thing that only happened to me. <laughs> and during this time of a divided heart, I started asking myself questions like, am I truly going to follow Jesus the rest of my life? Was that burning love of God I experienced when I was young just a tale of young and naive love? And was Jesus something only that I did when I was zealous? Or was Jesus going to be something I built my life around? And these were really, really tough questions and painful questions. These are questions that played out in my everyday life as a student at a large state school. I went to the University of Texas. But by the grace of God and through a lot of community, <laughs> I felt very true, very sure at the end of my college years, that I belonged to God, and that I always would, and that no matter what happened in my life, I would never leave my sweet Jesus. In short, I decided that I was going to live my life with God in God's kingdom. And of course, as the wisdom of the saints tells us, and also, thank you for the saints, Lord, that I now realize that this also is very normal. <laughs> this, this, this decision, this season of life leads into another season. And I think that this season is going to last a very long time and will surely have a lot of little sub-seasons in it. It's the season of learning how to actually be like Jesus, this person that I love so much. I'm sure a lot of you are married and have been married a very long time, and you fall in love with your spouse, 
and you decide that you want to be with them, but as you go through the years of your marriage, you actually start acting like each other. It's the way it's supposed to be. And so when Ashley told me that I would be exploring this Matthew 5 passage with you, I honestly cringed a lot, and I was on the phone with her, so thankfully she didn't see my cringe, but I'm sure she could hear it. Um, and I really thought, like, wow, she's really throwing me in there with her church. <laughs> but as I thought and considered this passage more, I realized that it's a true blessing to walk through this passage with you because it's the bedrock of what I am learning and what God is doing in me and how I am growing. We teach best from what we know, right? So we'll pick up where Ashley left off next, last week with this idea of Jesus bringing a new reality that he is revealing in the Sermon on the Mount or as you've been calling it, Jesus' greatest hits. And so as we take our first steps into the meat of this song, the don't murder, don't cheat, don't divorce, don't take oaths, I wanna talk about what this song is actually about. Because one of the biggest fallacies about this passage um, that has taken hold in the church is that Jesus is simply giving us an ideal and this is a terribly, terribly mistaken belief. Jesus is not giving us a lofty idea about how we will live when everything is perfect or when we die and go to heaven. Jesus is laying out not just a way of behaving, but a way of the heart that is completely and absolutely realistic as we walk with him. So let me make absolutely clear. I believe that the following teachings are an absolutely realistic way for us to live and that we do ourselves a huge disservice when we act like the standards of these teachings are out of reach. And so this is what the song is about. It's about what it looks like when we live in God's kingdom. And it all hinges on this idea of fulfilling the law. I think the law has a bad rap in our modern evangelical Christian culture. We tout the phrase, we are free in Christ, and it's true we are, and we ignore the law, and a lot of our churches don't even really teach the Old Testament outside of the really cute stories that go on the felt board in our children's ministries. And even at the time, there was a lot of talk about Jesus and how he was going to take a sledgehammer to the law. And to me, this is a very understandable assumption given the incredibly tense relationship that Jesus had with the Pharisees. People who were obsessed with obeying the law and people who Jesus actually says, maybe a little ironically, are very righteous. Instead, Jesus starts this passage out by saying that he is going to fulfill the law, not abolish it. And the word fulfill, um, a really good synonym for it is to make reality. See this word, it's going to keep coming up. In fact, he says that in him, every I will be dotted and every T will be crossed in the law. And when we live as people who fulfill the law, not just obey like the Pharisees, but fulfill the law, we will be great in the kingdom of heaven. So, what does it look like for us to actually fulfill the law? 
Jesus shows us in these little examples what it means to fulfill rather than to just obey. And he starts out with murder, which many of us feel like is a pretty basic one. It's wrong to kill someone in cold blood. And this is how we follow the law. We don't take the life of someone else. But Jesus extends the law from simply obeying to fulfilling. Jesus declares that we will be subject to judgment if we have unrighteous anger or seething anger towards our neighbor. He then extends it again, telling us that we will be subject to hellfire if we call someone raka. Now this word is often translated as fool, but I think a fuller translation is worthless. I remember dating this guy in high school who was actually really rude, and looking back, I don't really understand why I liked this guy. I'm sure we all have someone like that that we dated. But I remember we were gossiping about this girl, and he said, yeah, she's just a waste of space. And I remember being so shocked, and we actually broke up a few weeks later. (laughs) And And that's good that that shocked me. It's good that that shocked me, because raka, worthless, It's a word that is not only filled with contempt, but is diabolically opposed to the way that Jesus sees people and sees the world. And so when we fulfill the law, we aren't just the sort of people who don't murder. We become the kind of people who recognize seething anger and choose not to feed it. We are people who nip it in the bud And we become the kind of people who see all people as valuable and loved by God regardless of their behavior. Just like your anthem says, when we look into the face of our enemy, we see our brother. We see someone whose life is full of value and infinite worth. And finally, Jesus brings this all to a head when he tells us that we ought to interrupt our acts of piety if we are in contempt with our neighbor. During this time, the Pharisees believed that nothing should stop a holy ritual, especially a sacrifice, once it began. But Jesus is saying that if we harbor contempt in our hearts, then the rituals don't actually matter anyway. And I know a lot of people, um, especially with my Catholic upbringing, who will not take communion, who will not participate in the Lord's Supper if they are having a quarrel with someone. And I think that um, is something that you should discuss with God, but I actually think that's a, a pretty right and just thing to do. In fact, earlier in this week, my husband, who I've been married to for a total of seven months, I guess almost eight months, so we have a lot of experience under our belt, um, we got into a little spat <laughs> that he thought was really playful, uh, but I, well, I thought differently especially once I walked away from the conversation, um, I realized that I was really angry. And instead of being a reasonable person and going and talking to him about it and communicating and telling him, hey, that really upset me, I let that anger sit. And I let it fester. And it got to the point where I had that seething, fist-curling anger toward my husband that Jesus talked about. And get this, I tried to sit down and work on this sermon in that state. (laughs) Of course, 
I opened my laptop and the first words I read were my own words about contempt. And so with God's help, I took a few breaths and heard the, word, the Lord whisper, not tonight. And I shut my laptop and went to bed. Needless to say, Ben and I worked it out. <laughs> so with God's help, I am learning to be like Jesus. And I'm learning what it means to fulfill the law and what it means to become a child of the light. There, I said it, the title of the sermon, Children of the Light. Because when we become, when we come to fulfill the law, we become children of the light. The very people that Jesus talks about in this sermon, in fact, it's the paragraph above our reading, and I already know because I looked at your schedule, you will be circling back to this. And Jesus says that we are the light of the world, the city on a hill, a lampstand that should not be covered so that it may illuminate the darkness. And he tells us that classic phrase that we love to embroider on pillows and post on our Facebook page, let your light shine. And so if we want to be children of the light who fulfill the law, then Jesus also forbids adultery. And obeying this one is statistically harder for us it's estimated by the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy that 15% of married women and 25% of married men will commit adultery in their lifetime. And this does not include emotional affairs. And so not, not only is obeying this law statistically much more difficult for us, but fulfilling this law is too. Because Jesus goes on to also prohibit lustful thinking. Because lustful thinking is also diabolically opposed to the way that Jesus sees the world and its people. Because when we lust after something or someone, we see what is desirable about it. But then we try to possess it. But as children of the light, when we are confront confronted with something that is wondrous to us, and let's be honest, there's a lot of wonderful things in the world. But as children of the light, we are able to respectfully admire and say, oh, thank God for something so beautiful without trying to manipulate it or possess it. And that was a really hard teaching. Jesus goes on to talk about divorce stating that during a divorce, a woman must be given her divorce certificate, which often included her financial settlement so that she wouldn't be dependent upon the mercy of others. And I think that Jesus comes down on divorce so hard because he takes covenants seriously. He takes his covenant with us seriously, and he takes the covenants that we make between each other seriously. And I myself am a child of divorce. And so I say this to you, not from the idealized view of a person who's been married seven months, but as a person who has experienced the pain of a broken covenant and has witnessed the pain of my parents, even though according to the standards of Jesus, their divorce was perfectly valid. And I know that these are incredibly difficult teachings and this is just the first verse of the song. 
There are more hard teachings to come, teachings about not taking oaths and just letting your yes be yes and your no be no and turning the other cheek and walking the extra mile. But these teachings are completely possible when we take them and Jesus seriously. I actually, while I was writing the sermon, I kept getting the image of the unpaid intern or whoever you want to picture being in a boardroom. And they're saying all of these incredibly wonderful, good, lofty ideas and ideals. And the rest of the board just looks at them and smiles and is like, well, isn't that nice? And then they immediately move on to the rest of their agenda. We need to take Jesus and his teachings seriously. It's not enough for us to just smile and nod at him and say, okay, that's really nice. We have to actually do it. So I ask you, do you believe Jesus when he says that this kind of life is possible? That life in the kingdom is possible? In this new reality that Jesus has brought before us, we can learn to be like him. And we can have hearts that just spill forth light. Because fulfilling the law means that this way of living is the natural overflow of, a, of the heart. And I think that this is the truly hard teaching. We can't just grit our teeth and try really hard to embody the law that Jesus teaches. We live in a world that is goal-oriented, um, that says we need to just buckle down and work hard and work fast to get what we want. But in the kingdom of God, when we try to hunker down and be less angry and less lustful and more devoted to our covenants, it often ends in our own frustration and our own um, in progress not being made, even in the slightest. And we also grow impatient with such slow and gentle work. And there's a reason that I said that this one, this season, would be a very long one for me. Because it takes many years for our carpenter and for us alongside him to renovate the heart. The hard teaching is that none of this is possible without God's mercy and grace and help. And as Americans, we are a people who don't like to be at the mercy and grace of others. We don't like being people who are in need of help. But these beautiful ways of living are the natural result of a heart that is fully immersed in God's world, a heart that lives in a God-drenched world. So I want you to see these teachings as an invitation, because they are. They're an invitation. They're a whispering of the spirit that says there is so much more. And instead of gritting our teeth and trying to obey, all we can really do is look to Jesus, our good shepherd, and respond with every fiber of our being. Teach me how to be like you. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church podcast. Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, 
the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.